You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show. I'm your host, Fatima Al Said, and this week's show is brought to you by Project Visual. On this weekly talk show, we invite experts to learn from their career journeys as professionals in their fields. Tune in every week on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear the advice of these professionals. And remember, if at any point in the show you have any questions, you can always leave them in the comments section. Today's guest is Zahra Saab. As a public health policy analyst, Zahra helps develop health policies by day and builds communities by night. Zahra, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm very um, excited to have you on the show. I think public health is huge right now and it's everything that's happening. Um, so it'll be very interesting to hear about what you do and how you do it. Yeah, I'm really excited to share that kind of insight. I feel like public health is definitely having its shining moment and mm-hmm. getting a lot of love uh, and some <laughs> criticism, but uh, I think it's all fair. And I'm really happy to be here to share a bit of insight into what public health really is. And I'm excited to hear about how policy and uh, changes that you make from the top really affect the health system, maybe not immediately, but over time. So um, we'll let you get into that. But I just wanted to let people know before we get into everything that Zahra um, is also working under the Chief Medical Officer of Health of Ontario, who's currently leading the Ontario's response to COVID-19. Although she doesn't have direct experience with uh, the pandemic, but she does have insight on what it means to be, you know, someone who is working within um, the Ministry of Health, seeing everything playing out around her. So she's going to talk a bit about that. But first, we're going to interview her about um, her story and how she got to where she is. So stay tuned from that at, around the end of the show. Um, so Zahra, let's start with uh, why public health? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, so naturally, I consider myself an empath. Uh, growing up, I used to feel too much. I, I want to really help people. Uh, I was really drawn to their stories and just really wanting to improve the livelihood of others. Um, I also grew up in a really civically engaged household. Mm. My parents were very involved in the community, but they also encouraged me to volunteer from a really young age. And so as early as high school, I was doing a lot of community work, giving back to others, helping uh, communities that were underserved. Mm -hmm. And so that really shaped my understanding of the world and the kind of you know, person I wanted to be and the kind of work I wanted to do. So when I looked around at career choices, I realized healthcare really gave me that opportunity to help people. But, you know, when you come from, this, you know, a first generation immigrant household, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the people that you know, are also immigrant people, but also from what the rest of the world is really saying, is that, uh, you know, healthcare, there's only a few traditional routes, you can either go into medicine, or pharmacy, or dentistry, or select other few things. Um, And so I went on to the traditional healthcare trajectory uh, all throughout high school and well into my undergrad. I did human biology and English as my double majors. I was volunteering in hospitals, doing co-op placements there. And what happened was that I was also doing research on the side. So, you know, pretty much when I would volunteer, um, I noticed that Yes, there's a lot of traditional players in the health system. You have Mm -hmm. your doctors and your nurses and your pharmacists, but health is so much more holistic than that. And I think I started to really realize that when I was working as a volunteer at Toronto General Hospital, uh, when I was volunteering there in my third year or second year uh, of university, 
And what I noticed there was that I was able to provide family members who essentially were waiting for their family member to come out from surgery. I was able to ease their anxiety by providing them with transitional support, liaising between the doctors and nurses and communicating any changes in the surgery update to those people. And so I realized that, wait, you know, the Mm -hmm. doctors, the nurses, they're doing an extremely important job. But at the end of the day, I'm also playing a role in their healthcare. And so I started to really understand that, okay, health is much more than just one-on-one care. You can play definitely a different part in that. And so I started to realize that even more during some of my university courses, I didn't take any public health courses up until my fourth year. And pretty much what had happened was that Uh, I took a health humanities course. Now, because I had done a double major in human bio and English, which people would always ask me about, they'd be like, that's such a stark contrast. Um, But I I loved the two of those. And I found this course that kind of married the two. It pretty much looked at the arts and sciences and how Mm -hmm. people's health could be improved through the humanities. It talked about things like cultural competency training for healthcare professionals, dementia homes, Mm -hmm. art therapy. And so it started to, again, widen my perspective on what it means to improve the health of people. And that was actually some of my, you know, my first exposure to public health. Um, And I started to realize, wait, like as somebody who cares to make a difference in people's lives, as somebody who wants to improve their health and well-being, as somebody who wants to understand the human condition, because pretty much that's what I I was trying to do up up until that point. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, through my human biology courses, looking at humans from a micro scale, but then through my English courses, I was focusing on their storytelling, right? The human you condition. You had a very interesting balance. I think maybe that didn't make sense at first for you, which is uh, an interesting thing to see how it played out uh, later on. Oh, for sure. And as we continue to speak, I'll even touch a bit about how policy kind of was the perfect Plays marriage between those two mm-hmm. things as well. Uh, but it was definitely those you know, moments in my undergraduate career, through my exposure in the healthcare system, that really built up to my interest to in public health. Mm-hmm. So when you um, went down that route and you started, I mean, you started off looking into, you know, medicine or looking into, uh, I think, more hands-on care. Did you ever think that you would be at the point you are today? And what kinds of steps did you take um, in order to get to where you thought you should be? Honestly, um, I didn't think I'd be where I am today, partly because I didn't know what public health was. Mm -hmm. Another thing is, I don't really have, you know, role models role models are mentors in the healthcare field to look up to you know my parents uh god bless them they've they've been the most supportive people in my life i'm really really lucky to have them Mm -hmm. i'm naturally a very driven person and so every time i come home with an initiative in mind or something i want to volunteer for they push me forward they were very supportive of everything i want to do but at the end of the day Um, our contacts in terms of people who work in the healthcare field are limited. And I think part of that is a product of coming from, you know, uh, a newer community. Um, I think a part of that is also, again, not being long established here. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much what happened was, um, yeah, I didn't necessarily have any mentors uh, that I could look up to. And so what I did was I would actively seek out people (laughs) who are in public health and speak to them about their journey. I always tell young people who um, I mentor or who who reach out to me, I tell them, listen, go create a LinkedIn page, go fill it out uh, with what you're doing and start to reach out to people whose career you wanna aspire to. 
And even if you're not sure it's going to be the right fit, start having those early uh, conversations and explorations. And I think actually those early conversations were really pivotal because they've made me very comfortable in having those conversations later on in my career, where it's extremely important to network. Anyways, all this to say that as somebody who didn't have any mentors, um, I had to go looking for opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to people. What I would also do is just say yes to a lot of things. <laughs> I was like a yes woman. Uh, but I was also very focused on what I wanted to do. I mm -hmm. said, okay, I want to do public health. I want to learn what public health is. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I was like, okay, what kind of career options are there? I looked into that. And then I started to look at opportunities to volunteer or do research work or hands-on work in that kind of stuff. Um, because I also knew that Masters of Public Health programs in Canada and even in the US, they're quite competitive. And so to stand out as an applicant, you know, having my life science background was not gonna be enough. If anything, <laughs> you know, they look at life science students and they're like, what are you doing here? And so I had to really carve out that narrative. Mm -hmm. So I remember that in my fourth year, I really started to expose myself more to public health. I started to go into case competitions which were so exciting. I always recommend them to people. Um, I started to volunteer at clinics that serve the underserved. Mm -hmm. So I was working at a clinic that actually would serve uh, refugees and immigrants that were new to Canada and didn't have access to healthcare services because yeah. of something called the OHIP three-month wait. All this to say that I continued to seek out those opportunities. And I noticed, and I it's not even just noticed. I think I came to the realization that nothing was going to come easy. I think you think as you get older, things will get easier. The reality is that no, you're going to have to open up your own doors a lot of the time. Um, but it's but it's important to keep putting in that hard work. It's not going to stop. You got to keep doing it. And, and that's something I acknowledge. So I think I that's kept... valuable advice that people yeah. don't usually learn until later on. Uh, that's something that you have to really go through it to understand, you know, um, am I going to keep being the yes yes woman am I going to keep being the person that everyone throws things on and how long will this continue and how many doors do I have to push open before I think I'm there um, exactly which is a very and I think important. it's yeah sorry I just going to say I think it's really important to also have a focus on all of this mm -hmm. you know that's why public health helped me focus because I was like okay I'm interested in public health but once I started to look at career options I started to focus and hone in even more yeah. Right. Um, I ended up getting into the master's program of my choice. And the reason that's I selected amazing. it, pardon? I said, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. No, alhamdulillah, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and it had a very social justice focused. And mm -hmm. I was very much interested in health inequities, seeing that I had volunteered at that uh, center for immigrant and refugee health care. Mm -hmm. And so I got into the program and it was my first like real, real exposure, educational exposure to public health. And I started to learn about all these different aspects of it, things like programming, public health programs, uh, things like evaluation, like evaluating public health programs. Some of the most important public health issues of our time would come up time and time again, public health research, knowledge mm -hmm. translation, which is pretty much taking health materials or health research being put out there and making it accessible to the public. I became exposed to everything that public health has to offer. And so I ended up in this in that boat again, where it was like, oh, gosh, now I really do have to, you know, be a yes woman, but I have to also focus and hone in on what I want to do within public health. Yeah. And so it wasn't until actually the end of my first semester where I realized public health policy is where my interest lies. And a big part of that is pretty mm -hmm. much because um, I like that it was a high level impact systems impact way of approaching health. And what I mean by that is a lot of health and healthcare is done on the individual level, right? 
So yeah. public health programming, you're delivering it to people, um, they're walking away, hopefully their health is being improved. But at the end of the day, how do you create healthy environments? Yes, you need those programs, but what determines those programs? It's the policies, the laws and the legislation put in place. So mm -hmm. I started to think more about that. And I was like, huh, this is really interesting. I, uh, I'm really interested in this idea of systems impact, this idea of creating healthy environments through laws and legislation. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that all, I noticed that public health policy required skills that I already had, things like critical thinking, analysis, research, writing, and that's where uh, the humanities came in. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, it, and that's exactly how I started to realize, wait, my interest in health and my interest in the humanities, mm -hmm. they can actually coexist. It wasn't <laughs> weird after all. <laughs> <laughs> it was so interesting. I was yeah. like, wow, it all makes sense now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think it's not until that moment that people realize, you know, wow, this is the path I was supposed to take. Even though I think at the beginning you had this like, iffiness of um, should I veer off the direction I was always or I always thought I was meant to be on um, which is hard for someone who is planning every single detail of everything um, it's so hard I <laughs> consider myself like a type a personality and I can't live with uncertainty I always <laughs> have to know what's happening next and uh, and so veering off that traditional path it was really scary mm -hmm. and people would always question it they'd be like are you sure of this are you sure and you know what I did the entire time I trust my gut instinct um, mm. and I say that to a lot of other people too I'm like trust your gut instinct people will always tell you what they think is best but at the end of the day you know what's best for you mm -hmm. right and it might not seem certain it might not seem to be the case in that moment but if you trust your gut instinct trust me your future self will thank you for it it just means that there's something bigger planned for you and you just got to trust uh you know trust in the plans that have been put in place for you and, and move forward with that so and it was definitely you... anxiety inducing, but I, I, you know, I did what I had to do. And now and... you have a front row seat to, I think the, the, one of the biggest pandemics. So exactly. that's like, I mean, you're in a great spot. <laughs> and that was kind of unexpected too, right? Mm -hmm. Because even, so I had chosen throughout my master's to do public health policy, but I never imagined that I'd be working at the ministry of health at the time of something like this. So, so initially like a road of getting there. Um, how yeah. you yeah so from your master's um and how, how did how did you get into this position right now so pretty much I'm telling you after the you know that mm -hmm. that first semester I was like okay public policy public health policy is what I'm interested in and so then what I decided to do was seek out every and any opportunity that would, would make me pretty much um an outstanding candidate for policy jobs mm -hmm. and so what I did was that I started to apply to placements with not-for-profits um, part of our professional master's degree program was that you got to do a three-month placement somewhere in the summer, and then you get, get to do a three-month placement in the winter. So the first one I did was with hard and stroke. I was working on things like tobacco and vaping policies, menu labeling mm -hmm. policies. And working with a not-for-profit was really interesting because when you're doing policy there, you're kind of working from the advocacy part, right? You're trying to push and get the attention of governments and say, hey, listen to us and listen to what the evidence is saying, please incorporate this. But then a few months later, I found myself working on the federal level at the Public Health Agency of Canada, which I absolutely loved. It was one of the best experiences I had ever had. Um, and I actually didn't even want to leave Ottawa or the federal level because up there, you got to work with all the provinces in Canada to pretty much shape the health of individuals on some pretty high profile issues. 
So I started to do those internships, those placements. In between, I was doing some policy uh, research work through the Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. So again, I kind of put that yes woman hat on and I said, let's see where this takes me. Um, because you know, it's something I also acknowledge that I had that privilege too, right? Mm -hmm. Some people, unfortunately, they don't have the privilege to volunteer and put themselves out there um, because perhaps they're, you know, they have to pay attention to other things in their life and that's fine. Um, but for me, I found that, you know what, like, I want to maximize my time here. I want to mm -hmm. maximize my master's program. And lo and behold, uh, I, I feel like I did. I really did. And so after that, I decided to move to the provincial level. I got a job offer there. And the interesting thing about provincial health making in Canada is that every province is responsible for its own health policies and health mm -hmm. laws. So you are pretty much help like helping create these legislations mm -hmm. and these laws um, which you don't get to really do at the federal level at the mm -hmm. federal level you're creating strategies and action plans which is so valuable but on the provincial level right you're actually implementing the stuff that the federal mm -hmm. level is asking for if you want you're creating health legislation and health policies depending on what the health needs are mm -hmm. you're working with municipalities to make sure that health issues are also being addressed so it's a whole different ball game um, entirely. And so that's and pretty much the trajectory. To, sorry not to jump in, but just to clarify for our listeners, um, Zahra is speaking about uh, the public health in Canada specifically. Um, it differs around different parts of the world. So uh, for listeners, this is Canada specific. Exactly. Um, yeah, so working like getting policy experience on different levels mm -hmm. in different levels of government has definitely be, been a learning experience I see how policy works um, I've been learning just what the different mechanisms are mm -hmm. and it's definitely I, I highly recommend it to anyone mm -hmm. what are the core skills that you think uh, someone who wants to be a policy analyst or work in the field of um, health policy uh, what what are the core skills that they need so quite honestly, um, a lot of policy is evidence-based, right? Mm -hmm. So your research and analysis skills have to be pretty strong and rigorous. You have to be able to look at a piece of literature or look at some of the newest research and say, hmm, is this research uh, rigorous? Is it accurate? Is it applicable to what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. On top of that all, you have to be pretty uh, strong in your writing, right? At the end of the day, you're developing briefings or communications materials for some pretty senior officials. We're talking about ministers or even your directors and managers. You have to be mm -hmm. able to be very strong uh, and flexible in your writing skill and be able to take on those different voices and shift your perspective quite quickly. Mm -hmm. I think something else that's really important is definitely your ability to negotiate um, and you know, be very pro professional in terms of your communication. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times in policy, you find yourself sitting around a table with different parties, right? Everyone has different expectations when they come to this table and you have to be able to walk out of that room and say, listen, I think what I'm saying uh, has some, you know, merit to it. I think mm -hmm. what you're saying has some merit to it. Let's try and find a middle ground. So it's a really, you know, that kind of balancing act is problem solving skill as well. Oh, a hundred percent. You have to also, yeah. So that's one aspect of the problem solving, but the other problem solving aspect is you know, there's a health issue. For example, yeah. we were dealing with an opioid crisis and we still kind of are. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it comes to that, you got to sit back and think, what are the different solutions that we can use to tackle this? But on top of that all, it's not just that, right? It's 
what are the different solutions, but what are the health impacts of these solutions? What is the economic mm -hmm. impact of this? What's the social impact? What's the environmental impact? Like you have to essentially look at the solution uh, to this problem that you're posing and look at it from all different lenses. And so you have that to think kind of, of every single aspect that it could affect yeah. in every single way and every single person. <laughs> so tell me this, when it comes to something like COVID-19 mm -hmm. and which where there's so much uncertainty and you can't predict it, how does how does that all work? And that's where it becomes really exciting. It's unfortunate the situation, but it's exciting as well because you're looking at all these different scenarios that could play out and thinking, okay, but how do we prepare and how do we uh, how do we create the you know how do we create the how best solutions to address the ease as well? I think people are scared because of the uncertainty and the unknown. They're not sure what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and what to expect. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so delving a little, um, I mean, we're almost, we're, I want to talk a bit more about, um, just the COVID-19 pandemic, um, looking at your, uh, situation, um, or sorry, looking at your spot and, you know, it's, it's a very unique spot to be, um, working under someone who is heading it all. Uh, I know that you can't give us very, you know, you can't give us any extra information than what we already know, but uh, it's interesting to hear your perspective as well as someone who is working within uh, the Ministry of Health. So what do you think of this, I'm going to call it the craziness uh, that people, <laughs> the frenzy of, you know, going into shopping centers, clearing out all the aisles, um, taking out all the toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of this and what, what advice do you have for people who are are just following that frenzy as well? So I think it's a really interesting time to be alive, but also <laughs> to work in public health. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely getting a front row seat to all of this. And I, you know, disclaimer, I'm not an expert on these issues. Yeah. The most I can do is relay the information that's already publicly facing. Mm -hmm. And the reality is um, our public health system is dealing with this to the best of its ability. Right. And so I think people's panic and their fear and anxiety, it's stemming from almost seeing what other countries are going through and wondering, yeah. you know, are we going to have to deal with this? Are we going to be facing that many deaths? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what I have to say to that is our public health system has been 15 years or 16 years in the making. You know, after SARS happened, pretty much Canada and Ontario's public health system was being built from the ground up. And so pandemic preparedness has been an integral part of that since the very beginning. And if I don't, if that doesn't give people a sense of, you know, ease, then I don't know what would. Another thing is uh, something people have to keep in mind is that other countries were essentially just waiting for the virus to come to them. They pretty much just put on that seatbelt and they sat back and relaxed not necessarily, I, I might be actually lightening the situation, but mm -hmm. they definitely were not actively looking for the virus. The difference here is, and part of the reason that a lot of these precautions in Ontario have been taken, whether it's closing public schools mm -hmm. or suspending certain uh, sports season, is because we're not waiting for the virus to come for us, right? We're actively seeking it out. Mm -hmm. And what that looks like is increasing testing and assessments, making it as accessible as possible, ensuring the messaging is as consistent as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and so with all that being said, some of my advice to people would be to ensure that you're getting the right information from the right sources. 
I swear to God, on a daily right sources that you can look to. I think people at this time are a little confused hearing things. So, I mean, there's so much fake news that has been out there. There's so many things that are fabricated. Um, I'm not going to bring them up because there's some things are just ridiculous. Um, But it's, it's that, how do I differentiate? This is true. And this is not, when should I worry? When should I not? So what I say to people all the times, because I'm also getting inundated with all those WhatsApp messages Mm -hmm. too. And the first question I ask people who send that is, what's the source? Where is it coming from? And is it one of the following sources? And the usual sources I list are, number one, the World Health Organization. Number two, if you're in Canada, the Public Health Agency of Canada. Mm -hmm. Number three, if you're in the U.S., that would be the Center for Disease Control. And then within Ontario, if you're an Ontario citizen, check out the Ministry of Health, Public Health Ontario or Ontario Health. They're always publishing information uh, on pretty much an hourly basis. They're regularly updating it. The great thing within Ontario is that we're also having regular press conferences. Tune into those. Those are the health officials speaking about the latest uh, escalation in the issue. If, you know, they're definitely not underplaying it. They're taking all the precautions and measures necessary as we can Mm -hmm. see. Um, So it's definitely listening to those sources. I always encourage people to subscribe to those Facebook pages of those aforementioned sources, follow them on Twitter, on Insta. The WHO has been producing the most amazing um, information. They've been doing live FAQs. They've been doing a lot of TikTok videos, which really (laughs) resonates with some of the younger people. With the youth as well, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of great sources out there, but make sure it's coming from um, a government-designated health source, Mm -hmm. right? So all those sources that I listed above. What I would also say is that definitely, you know, ensure that you're adhering to that protocol, the hand hygiene Mm -hmm. protocol, practicing social distancing, which pretty much means, you know, stay a meter away from people and make sure if they're sick or they're sneezing or they're coughing or whatever it is, you know, first of all, those people should be staying at home. Second of all, if they're out and about, also practice um, some distance between you guys. Mm -hmm. And lastly, be kind to each other, right? I think there are some populations that are definitely more vulnerable than others at this time, uh, whether it's the elderly or individuals who don't even have access to social services. So I think right away in my head, the homeless population, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Check in on your local food bank, see if they require any resources. Please don't hoard up resources, especially things that our frontline providers could be using. Um, They're doing some remarkable work out there and they're putting their lives at risk for our safety. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to crazy mask buying or crazy hand sanitizer buying, you know, be mindful of those people and remember that they're the reason that we're staying safe. Mm -hmm. Lastly, um, quite honestly, I think anxiety is warranted here. I think it's fair and I think it's expected. So just check in on people, ask them how they're doing and how they're feeling. And if they need to be consoled or, you know, just spoken to, uh, perhaps uh, consider sharing some of those resources with them as well. Some of those resources I mentioned. So I'll mention them one last time. Definitely check out the Public Health Agency of Canada, the World Health Organization, the Center for Disease Control. And then if you're in Ontario, the Ministry of Health, uh, definitely Public Health Ontario or Ontario Health. And one more question for you, Zada, within um, looking at everything that's going on and looking at, um, especially from your position where you can tell people, you know, you can give them that. I think you're in a position where you can give us some calm within the storm. So what can people, when do people need to worry? 
Um, you know, some people get high fever, some people are uh, feeling coughs. It's flu season, it's also spring. So there's a lot of allergies going around as well. When does someone have to worry and what steps do they take in order to ensure that they're safe and everyone around them is safe? I think that's important to differentiate. Definitely. So right now what's being said is that if you've traveled from one of the affected areas, definitely go call your doctor and uh, they'll help you through that. Mm -hmm. If you haven't and you have some flu symptoms, but you are feeling quite anxious, if you're within Ontario, you can call Telehealth Ontario. Just Google their number and it'll show up. You can also call your local public health unit. So again, just look up list of public health units within Ontario and a whole list will show up. If you're based in Toronto, like myself, that would be Toronto Public Health. Mm -hmm. Um, Something else to keep in mind is that there's assessment centers opening up all across the province of Ontario within the next week. Um, So definitely check those out if you do feel like you're coming down with something and you're worried. The nice thing about those those assessment centers is that they're outside of the emergency room, so you're not putting anyone else. I was just going to ask, what's the risk risk of going to the emergency? Because I think people immediately think, I need to go to the emergency room right now. Oh, the whole point right now of public health is to try and mitigate the capacity issue within the health Mm -hmm. system, right? We don't want it to reach a point where it's crumbling and they're running out of beds or more people are getting infected than necessary. So Mm -hmm. once these assessment centers are up, a few of which are already open, it's definitely important to go there first and foremost. Please don't go to the emergency (laughs) um, and risk spreading what you have around. Mm -hmm. Uh, The people at the assessment center will also be adhering to proper personal protection protocol. And so they'll be able to service you there. Thank you so much, Zeta. Um, I think you gave us so much insight into your career, into what you do, um, and the journey you took to get there, which is an incredible journey, um, to be honest. Um, Before we come to the end of our show, I just wanted to ask you what your final piece of advice for our listeners is today. Um, My final piece of advice would be to always remember where you've come from. Um, As soon as you've gotten the privilege to enter spaces and access opportunities that others from your community have not had the chance to enter, think of them and use whatever power you have to help uplift them, whether Mm -hmm. it's by sharing resources or mentoring young people or bringing the needs of your community and their concerns um, to the table, right? To these big decision-making tables. You know, you can climb all the way to the top, but what's the point of that if you don't have people to celebrate it with, right? Um, One of my favorite authors, Toni Morrison, says it best. She says, When you get these jobs that you've been so brilliantly trained for, just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. This is not a grab candy game. And so her words have always stayed with me. I hope that they'll resonate with other people as well. And uh, yeah, before we wrap up, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share my career journey um, and everything public health related. Thank you for coming on. I think this is a field that's uh, very uh, under talked about. <laughs> I mean, people don't really talk about it as much. And it's, uh, it's amazing to have you on and to actually share, you know, how we can change affect change within times like this, like what's going on in the world today. Um, so thank you so much. Zahra. My pleasure. And just one last thing, if anyone yeah. ever has any questions or information, I'm always more than happy to provide it to them. Um, whether it's around the COVID-19 situation, I can always provide those resources mm-hmm. uh, to people. But also if anyone has questions about pursuing public health, specifically public health policy, I'd be more than happy to offer that kind of support. And we'll let people know how they can also reach out to Zahra um, in a moment. Thank you so much, Zahra. Thank you. 
You were just listening to the Umentor Talk Show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the Umentor website under prior talk shows. And while you're there, why not subscribe to our iTunes podcast so you never miss another show? If you want to reach out to any of our speakers, either today's speaker or previous speakers we've had on the show, visit our online platform at umojaoutreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups, or just visit the Umentor website and hit the link for online platform. And don't forget, this year's Emoji Games 2020 are held in Richmond on July 3rd to 5th. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. to hear from our next guest.